Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list. My name is Clay. Amanda is on vacation. She's traveling the world. So we pulled Wes in from the Penske file to... Uh, hello. Hello, Wes. How's everything going? Oh, good. I'm, I'm, Amanda's living the dream life, I suppose. We're just here <laughs> watching movies. We're just... We're, the, the two of us are just here getting sick back and forth, somehow sending diseases through our microphones. <laughs> that's how they're, that's how the, the digital world, everything spreads and you can't track yeah, its the, origin. And that's the, exactly what happened. The bacteria and the viruses have adapted to travel through uh, the, the airwaves. <laughs> we're, just, we're just spitting in each other's mouths uh, two, times a, two times a week. That's and just... an absolutely disgusting visual. <laughs> if everything that I say into the microphone sprays out of your microphone. It doesn't. <laughs> It's like that, uh, remember like smell-o-vision TV? Mm-hmm. Where they tried that for a little bit. It was just like ejaculating particles yeah. into the air and around your house. That's yeah. why, have you ever done, you know, the 4DX movies mm-hmm. experience? That's like no. that's like a thing now where it's like, yeah, if you go see Avatar in 4DX, your seat will shake and at certain points they just like spray you with water. It's like a Disney <laughs> ride. Yeah. It's a, but there's no smell aspect, right? It's just water. I, I, it might be. I'm not sure. I've never done it. Yeah, it just needs a lot of you need like a lot of water-based movies, I think, to make it effective, but Yeah. They, well, this know. this one would be a pretty good movie for 4DX. Uh we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 3: The Dream Warriors. This used to be on our list. It it was uh locked in at number 200 for a while, but then after the big shakeup it got it got moved off. And uh I was hoping Is this a wild card? Or are this we is just, a wild card. Doing yes. oh, okay. This is a wild I was, card. I, was, I was looking at the list and I was like, why are we doing this? I've had, I've had a brainstorm <laughs> as to why this why this movie was selected. So it was number two hundred. It barely made the cut. It was, yes. The the mm-hmm. movies that are parked at two hundred tend to end up getting knocked off every time they shift it because American Psycho was at two hundred, I think, and uh I think Black Christmas was at two hundred briefly. So I think it's it's not a great no. spot to be. This one held there the longest, though. And I was I was upset when it got knocked off because I was looking forward to doing it with you and Amanda because yeah. before we even started the show, Amanda's first introduction uh, to uh, the podcast universe we've set up here. The lifestyle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was uh, on the show we used to do called Real Ripe or Real Rotten where we would do the highest and lowest rated of a uh, uh, actor or filmmaker's career and she came on and did Wes Craven with us where we did uh Nightmare on Elm Street um Vampire in Brooklyn yeah yeah was the lowest rated Nightmare on Elm Street is still on the list at like number 36 or something yeah yeah and um Wes Craven's New Nightmare which we the three of us did together as well yeah um and so So we didn't we did not do number two we've never done number two at we have point? not done number two, no. Okay. I would, right. you know what, I, I would like to do number two, because baby, I've been stopped up for weeks. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had the soundboard. That's my drive time morning humor right there. Uh, I, <laughs> I would like to do number two, because I wanted to do the three of us on this one, uh, but Amanda, unfortunately, was, uh, was gone. Um, yep. So we'll do number two eventually, because I think that's a movie that's, it's not good, but it's it's worth talking about. So maybe we'll get the three of us on for that one. But, and the uh, uh, the original is still out there. The feed is still out there. And yep. It's on the YouTube channel. So if you want to hear the original, have you guys done the original Nightmare on your own? Uh, no, have no. we? I don't know. That's a really good question. 
Um, I can look it up as we do this. But in the meantime, yeah, the original podcasts are uh, out there. You know what? I think I put it on. I think I put the. We have not done it ourselves, but I put the our the the three of us when we did it. I think I put it on the feed as uh, one of the episodes that like when I needed a buffer episode or something. That's what that's what I'm pulling up here too. You did it back in episode fifty three. Yeah, so, a while ago. Yeah, yeah, I ran through that one pretty quick. This is episode number ninety-seven. We're almost hitting number one hundred. But um, <clears throat> this is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three: The Dream Warriors. It has a sixty-eight percent Rotten Tomato score with a also a sixty-eight percent audience score. You usually don't see that very often. I'm surprised yeah, the audience score is so low in this one. This is usually a favorite of the series. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, had you seen this before? I had, uh, but. While watching it, I realized that I completely was not remembering anything that happened in this movie. But I've definitely seen this one. I was just I was expecting, what's the, what's the nightmare with the one where the kid has hearing aids? Oh, that's. I could have swore that was this one. Five. It's it's either that's, the next one or five. I can't remember. It's four or five. All right. So th- that was my primary thing. I was like, all right, I remember. The hearing aid kid, and I'm pretty sure that that's that's uh, this is the yeah. movie with it, and that is not in it. But, um, but needless to say, I didn't remember any of the kills in this, and I did remember the basic setup of it, but I did not remember anything specifically about it. It seems. Yeah. What is your uh, what's your history with the franchise? This because we I when we went through when we did the first one, you were not a fan of the first one, right? No, I wasn't. So, uh. I think I've seen a few of them. Obviously, I don't remember much about any of them. I don't like the first one. You can hear the, my thoughts on the first one on that podcast. Um, honestly, I think my thoughts about the first one are going to transcend to this one a little bit, too. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. It, it's, I'm not... I don't really get the... I don't really understand how these movies go for so many sequels. Is, is yeah. kind of the thing. Like, any yeah. of them. Like, uh, that's not just this one, but... Um, Generally, I think that Nightmare is a really good idea that is never done the way that I would expect it to be done. Mm. And the problems with it just kind of come from the fact that it's like, I feel like you have a really great idea here, but it's just never being made the way that I think is effective to the idea that yeah. you've created. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, we're, we'll talk about it a little bit, but it's interesting to see the change from one to two to three. And then from three on, it's basically they're just remaking three until the series ends but yeah because the next one's called like dream warriors or something or not dream uh, it's called dream dreamer little dreamers or something like <laughs> nemo's little nightmare something like that uh freddy versus little nemo that's the movie <laughs> we never got. uh number five is the dream child i think okay i can't remember what number four is but um i had seen this long time the first time i saw this movie uh was way way back when my at my cousin's house his uncle used to work at the video store down the street. And so he would always just have tapes that his uncle brought back from the video store. And mm-hmm. so um, Dream Warriors was... The, the ones that we watched quite a bit were Dream Warriors and Gremlins 2. And I think there sure. was probably yeah. another one in there, but I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. So this one, this was one where I like... I, I remember seeing it when I was really young. And then I kind of fell off from it and then... A few years later, it's one of those things where I saw it and I kind of had like this weird, almost dream memory of seeing it. You know, those movies where like sure. you kind of, you know, you see it so long ago, you can't really remember if you actually saw it. Um, 
And then I didn't get back into it until I kind of got more uh, seriously into these movies, into the horror movies. And so I watched the first one, and um, then I, I worked my way through the series. And uh, this one always stood out. It the, the first three are much like the Halloween series, which you can hear our coverage of on Patreon. Yep. The first three are real interesting, and then they just kind of get sillier and worse so yeah um, yeah but we will get into that in a minute after we play the trailer for you take a quick break we'll come back and talk about it Street Part 3. Freddy's just around the corner. Okay. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors from 1987. I always forget how late this series started, too, because it's they, they, it doesn't start until 84. So, like, the slasher yeah, w- boom has kind of already happened. Yeah, I was reading something that uh, one of the reviews was just saying how it was a reaction to the other ones, like when it started and it came out late, and I was like, oh, that's surprising to me that it's like it wasn't one of the original ones that, that came out. Because the first one came out when? 84. 84. Yeah. It's funny because yeah, <laughs> you had, after Halloween, you had this big boom of what if guy has knife movies yeah <laughs> and, then, and no one can help you yeah <laughs> no nobody bothered to put any like real interesting spin on it for the next five years or six There's, years uh, my spin would have been you know it would have come out in 1984 it would have been what if guy has knife but hero has a gun <laughs> it would have been an oscar-winning short well uh, finally wes craven comes along in 1984 and and posits the question what if guy have four knives yeah, yeah. And brings you uh, this... Innovation. 1984. Yeah. That's where it all began. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. But this is uh, directed by Chuck Russell, written by Wes Craven, Bruce Wagner, Frank Darabont, and Chuck Russell. Uh, Wes Craven, very tenuous writing job on this. He he wrote the first draft, and then it was very heavily rewritten. But there's a lot of stuff in there that is from him, but a lot of it isn't. The um, co-writer has an interesting backstory. I was looking at him on Wikipedia. Wagner? That. Yeah, is it Wagner? Is, it must have been. Well, Frank Darabont is, is notable because he became a big, much a huge deal later. He's the guy who did Yeah, he uh, actually made some good movies. Yeah, yeah. Shawshank and Green Mile and, and yep. created uh, The Walking Dead and stuff. Um, starring Heather Langenkamp, Robert Englund, Craig Wasson, who is not Bill Maher, 
even though for many, many years, I just I thought that was Bill Maher because they're very similar looking. Listen, just to completely link um, universes here, one of the most interesting things to me is that that character is he plays a character in a famous DS9 episode Does uh, really? called Hard, Hard Time, Yeah, which is the one where O'Brien gets sent to that mental prison for 20 years and he kills his like his uh the guy that he's in prison with at the end oh, of it is of like his punishment yes. he's that character that guy i believe yeah. if i remember correctly that's the episode we did where i opened it by doing the entire dusty roads hard times promo at the beginning <laughs> of the episode so if you want to hear that that's out there as well that's not... <laughs> um uh, patricia arquette ken say sagos rodney eastman yep. jennifer rubin bradley Gregg, ira hyden penelope cedra john saxon and good old larry fishburne yep and in this movie, a psychiatrist familiar with knife-wielding dream demon Freddy Krueger helps teens at a mental hospital battle the killer who is invading their dreams. And then uh, things you'll find in this movie include an Edgar Allan Poe quote sourced from Facebook. Apparently, it's up for debate whether or not that's an actual <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe quote. <laughs> is it really? Yes. I, I, what's the quote? I actually liked it. Uh, I, like I don't have it in dreams- front of me. I have it's to look that up. Basically, yeah, like, like dreams. I sleep. Sleep is my least favorite part of the day. Is basically what. Oh the, yeah, what the it's like is. sleep. Sleep is the uh, the nightmares that divide my life, or something. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> it's basically the Victorian literature version of like a Facebook meme. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the absolute terror of arts and crafts, because uh, you get this great opening sequence with a lot of juicy close-ups of paper mache making, which is always <laughs> yes, and popsicle sticks, <laughs> and then obviously the the puppets that come alive later lead us into the next thing you'll find, which is the re, the good old reverse Pinocchio. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. Huge hair that says "I'm an adult now," <laughs> which was I I was trying to figure out if Heather Langenkamp or Nancy presenting as like the the uh wizened um older character yep felt weird because she's like 23 or if that's just or if that's just me being old now like being 40 looking at her going she's she's dressing like she's in her 50s but she, <laughs> she's like 22 <laughs> the the hair says wisdom but her her voice says what the hell's going on here yeah it's um <laughs> Yeah, she's, I mean, she would have been pretty young. I guess the rest of the cast is pretty young. So kind of, I mean, she's supposed to be a grad student, right? So that she's probably yeah. the right age to be a grad student there. So I guess I guess that works. It is. It's one of those shifting things, though, because I remember when I was younger watching this going like, oh, of course, Nancy's an adult now. She has all this yeah, lived experience. Up. And then I watched yep. it this time. I was like, oh, she's like just out of college. <laughs> <laughs> they have that the line about he's like I don't want some punk just out for a publishing credit on here so she's, yeah. she's clearly just out of the university the, the Poe quote is sleep those little slices of death how I loathe them so just yeah close the loop if on you that. if you put that on in a cursive font on top of a, <laughs> a, a an illustrator clip art of a glass of wine yep. um, my mother-in-law would probably have that on her wall somewhere <laughs> um very important thing you'll find in this movie, possibly the first bare boobs I ever saw in a movie. I oh, wow. that's what that is the one thing I remembered for a very long time <laughs> from this movie was that nurse uh, taking her shirt off. So 
Interesting. I remembered the tongues as uh, shackles more than mm-hmm. I remembered her her breasts. But uh, there, I mean, it's a good set to start your career off with. I know I it's not bad. I mean, yeah. Yeah, for a while after that, everything less was just less. Yes. You know, <laughs> everything after that was just She's less. A- and her act, her acting as well, also didn't make her just a piece of meat on the screen. <laughs> she was there for the professionalism. Uh, things you won't find: the bourbon. No, no. I like that. I like that scene because um, the nuance of the writing shown through there, where you know this guy comes home and he clearly doesn't care that he's hooking up with this woman who has a like teenage daughter in the house who yes. is, he knows is up there, but he. He does class it up by asking, where's the bourbon? As yes. opposed to just, where's the hooch or something like that? To really let this let this daughter know that her mother's in good hands when she goes down there. It's a nice uh, Canadian blend in a plastic bottle that's very dusty. <laughs> where's the bourbon? I, I do I have know. to say, it is it is a great callback. As, um, <laughs> as mean-spirited as it is, when, when they do it again mm-hmm. in the dream, and they cut to Freddie going, I said, where's the fucking bourbon, you bitch? <laughs> I like his tuxedo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I assume that the guy was not wearing a tuxedo downstairs in the original thing, but he, he puts on a tux. Tuxedo Freddie is, is a great Freddie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you'll find Furious Styles before he moved back to South Central LA. It's always weird seeing La- Lawrence Fishburne in like regular guy roles. Because seeing yes, him play yeah. this character, which is, for all intents and purposes, he's doing like the stereotypical black guy kind of character. Yep. It's yep. really weird. He He's always, there's there's two phases. There's Larry, right, and Lawrence. But Larry is always wearing a vintage tee in yeah. any role that he's in. <laughs> and once he became Lawrence, things changed after that. Because Boys, Boys in the Hood, was he was still Larry at that point, right? Oh, I really? Think still, okay. I think he was still Larry. And but. that's a, f- a couple years away, right? Yeah, that was like 91, yeah. I think, that that came out. So he, he obviously uh, went places after this one. But th- that's a great movie. I think we maybe we maybe we didn't cover that. No, we've, I've actually never seen that movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Oh. I wonder why I wonder why it was on my mind that we would have. But yeah, I mean, obviously, he goes on to do Event Horizon, The Matrix, yes, and everything yes. else after that. He's got a lot of uh, the same energy he brings to Apocalypse Now in this one. In this one, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah and you'll find questionable doctoring, which is always good for a horror movie. And finally, <clears throat> the greatest heckle in horror movie history, which is um, the character who's just shouting at Freddy, and then he just tells Kruger, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the um, that's the black kid, right? Yeah, Kincaid. I can't Kincaid. Yeah, that's Kincaid. his name. Kincaid. I can't remember yeah. his name. <laughs> I think because he has a, he's like he's like show your pussy face, yeah. Kruger. <laughs> show your busted up, burnt ass, <laughs> Kruger pussy. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, apparently he got the job. He he didn't want to. I don't think he was really an actor. Uh, but he went in to do the audition, and he got stuck in traffic in the rain, and he was really mad when he got there. And, yeah. Uh, when he came into the Billy. audition oh he had to wait for like two hours when he got there when he sure. came in the director said just do whatever you want and he just started cursing out the director very loudly <laughs> and aggressively <laughs> and the director gave him the part on the spot so that's funny because kincaid is not outrageously angry for that no thing. no you know? kincaid is actually one of the better characters i think he's he's probably more uh evenly drawn than a lot of the other ones because they, they end up being a lot of just uh one note characters but uh yeah yeah, we can get into that in a minute. So, <clears throat> Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, Nightmare Part Two, 
uh, critically panned, but it was a huge hit. And so they went back to Wes Craven for new ideas. He wrote a script that I've, everything that I've seen, it seems contradictory as to what his script actually included, but it Mm -hmm. seems that his, uh, draft was involved the group of kids in the, in the asylum and, uh, was intended to conclude the series and was very, very dark and also included the death of Nancy. Because he yeah. he just wanted to he didn't want this to turn into the the franchise that it became but uh, yeah they heavily very heavily rewrote him which uh, in this movie was a hit and it ended up spawning an even bigger franchise than it was before so that's mm-hmm. what you get Wes yeah uh, but so this is the third movie we are kind of um, the first movie Freddy is very specifically played for scares right he's got this. Um, kind of twisted sense of humor but he's not quite the jokester that he is later on yeah is that is that is that the case i I guess that might i I... he he's he still makes wisecracks but they're a lot more like uh sinister sinister yes they're a lot more sinister than they are here although you know welcome to primetime bitch is pretty sinister i guess but (laughs) um this i like just i I, this is the start of his um i don't remember him saying bitch as much in this is the beginning of the bitch i think is it okay i I think that that rick and morty episode that's like the first one where they're being chased by a freddy krueger like character and like this guy says bitch an awful lot yes (laughs) (laughs) uh in part two Part two is is the classic example of we don't really know what to do with the sequel, so we're just going to try and figure it out on the fly, and maybe it'll work. Yep. Um, not I don't know really, if I've ever seen two. It's two, pretty, two does not have Nancy in it? No. It's a completely okay. different group of people and group of kids, and it's um, it has become one of the classics uh, of gay horror because mm. um, the main character is a – well, it's, it's very – it has become very famously, in retrospect, clearly about uh, a, a gay man trying to trying to deal with his sexuality through the oh. metaphorical lens of Freddy Krueger. Interesting. It is. So the it, character seems like a closeted gay character. Yes. In the oh yeah, big time. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and he was played by a gay man in real life. Who I think. Yeah. I can't remember if he was closeted at the time. There's a great documentary about him called Scream Queen. I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um. But it's but, it's still Freddy. It's like they what do these other characters move onto Elm Street or something? They move into Nancy's house. Yeah. Okay. And yep. so then that I don't remember how he comes back, but then it you know it becomes a whole thing. And there's it's it's one of those sequels where the first sequel like they hadn't pinned down any of the rules yet, so it's a right. little bit all over the place that way. Yep. Um, and so then we get to this one, and it's kind of become they've they've kind of figured it out where it's really turned into a set piece film where they're taking the 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 high concept which is dream monster and basically they keep doing these set pieces of like big special effects um showcases and you're 1987 yeah. you're right in the pocket of like the best in physical uh, practical special effects and stuff yeah and uh yeah he gets a bit more catchphrasey and uh, how do you what do you think of the presentation of of this movie versus the the first one, which is a little bit more grimy and a little bit more sleazy. Yeah, I think I like the first one more than this one. 
Um, I didn't. I've never liked Kruger as a mm-hmm. character. I don't think, or at least I haven't since we've started watching these movies over and over again. I, I think that the problem, like, because it surprised me that you mentioned that he's a little bit more sinister in the first one. Because I remember my problem with the first one being that he's still kind of goofy in mm-hmm. a way that I don't enjoy all that much. Yeah, and I feel like his goofiness ratchets up here. I, I like. I think that one of the flaws of this movie has to actually do with his character, which is that he's. Um, I feel like Freddy is not really prominent in this movie. Like he, he's, yeah. he's just kind of a monster there, and he says his catchphrases and he kills people, but he himself does not feel like the kind of iconic character that he at least felt in the first one, where he felt like he was like a real person there like yeah. he had a sort of like a personality to him here he doesn't feel that way and you know we'll get into it but like how they try to give him like a backstory in this one but instead he comes across as i think a failed execution of the character which is just that you don't get into his personality you don't really like, he's still very silly in this one he's all catchphrase his kills are like kind of remarkably tame in a lot of ways like not particularly inventive in the way that i would expect the movie to go Mm. um and then just finally whatever that weird effect on his voice they put on him annoyed me because i found it hard to understand what he was saying a lot of the time like i got it but i had to be like what like i had to pay attention to him more than i wanted to yeah there's some spots where they don't i think they forgot to put it in and you can just hear robert england's voice but a lot of (laughs) a lot of times it's like yeah you're all my children now yeah very very garbled Yeah. Yeah. yeah Yeah, it's it's strange because he kind of goes from dream demon in the first one. Like the first one is big on the backstory, but the backstory in the first one is is really beneficial to the character, right? Because he's this child killer, quote unquote, who yep. had terrorized the town until the 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 all the parents of uh, Springwood got together and murdered him, and then hid his bones so no one would ever find him and then the 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 soul of this monster has now become an unkillable dream demon and is now murdering the children of the people who killed him like that's a pretty intense backstory yep and in this one you don't even know what the connection is until like the last 10 minutes of the movie and it or maybe a little bit more than that but it's like you you find out kids yeah you find out deep into the movie that it's like oh yeah you're the last of the elm street children okay sure but you know it doesn't have the same it it it's interesting that they took him and kind of stripped it away a little bit and realized well if we get high school kids and uh dream set pieces we kind of don't need that other stuff, but in place of that stuff, they give you the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, yeah, which yeah. is nowhere yeah. near as effective as the child killer backstory <laughs> stuff. Yeah, the I mean that whole. I, I guess that my like the the general takeaway I had from this one is that it's a. It's one of those movies that. The criticism will sound harsh but it's like you can follow it up it's like it's one of those movies i don't really understand why it exists because it doesn't have a well it doesn't like if if you're going to do a slasher film for instance right i would expect that your priority would be we have to either nail the villain or we have to make these kill scenes so spectacular that it doesn't really matter about anything like that right and 
so if you if you want to make a slasher that's not like that, you could be like, well, let's make a, a story that's really like effective about these group of kids, right? Right. Th- this like we'll get to know them, we'll get to sympathize with them, and they'll deal with their, their dream monster or whatever. Or if you wanted to do the backstory thing, really focus on a great like sort of prequel to Nightmare that establishes the Kruger backstory sure. for you. And I just feel like all of the things in this movie feel pretty rote in that like they they don't feel particularly well thought out or that they exist in service of anything other than to like fill time a lot of ways like the the kruger backstory is the most egregious to me because it feels like it's like from a different movie that they just slap that stuff in yeah and the 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 bones of it being like the kill sequences are okay but really, I was only, I only found one of them super memorable. It's the one where he like the the kid becomes the puppet with the strings. Oh yeah, yeah. That that was the only one that I was like, okay, this is like grotesque, disturbing, and kind of like, um, the metaphor works there as opposed right. to you know like the drug addict thing or just like you want to be on TV, I'll shove your head into a TV <laughs> like that kind of thing. And, and I just for. It, it just always strikes me as weird because I know that these movies are churned out because they want to capitalize on things. But I would think that just like a week of brainstorming, you'd come up with better kill sequences than a lot of these movies do. Like, do you remember um, we did Jason in Space? Oh, yeah, Jason X, yeah. Jason X. That also had lackluster kill sequences because it didn't take advantage of the fact that he was in space right. for anything. Right. He was just killing people normally. And I, I feel like here they kind of get to the understanding of like, you want to expose the kids weaknesses, but I don't think that they do it effectively or scary enough to be like, Oh, that was a really memorable movie or like a really disturbing movie that they, they just gave me right there. Yeah. I find, I find the weird thing about this. I, I I enjoy this movie. I think, I think what this is, is kind of like, if you, if you forget about part two for a second, this is to part one, what aliens is to alien in a certain sense yeah where it's a bit more uh popcorn and not that the first one is a popcorn movie but it's a bit more uh sensationalized you've got more characters and you've got like a a band of of characters that you're kind of each one has a thing and so you're kind of like that's fun and you know that and the kills are more fun than they were in the first one um but it's yeah. There's something about it where but wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you say that? Like to the, to the aliens comparison, I feel like the aliens characters, as much as they're like hamburger meat for the aliens, yeah. they feel like people that you feel sad for when they get killed by the aliens. Oh sure, sure, yeah. yeah. I think uh, one of Amanda's criticisms she sent me her her thoughts um, was that uh, she she thinks there's too many characters. She says, at first, I thought a bigger group fighting fighting Freddy together was an intriguing idea, but ultimately the movie suffered for it. It's much less scary to have three to five people facing down Freddy together rather than the terrifying isolation of facing your literal worst nightmare all alone. And I yeah. I, I, I think that they get the <laughs> that really comes up towards the end because when they get into the whole dream warrior aspect where it's like in your dreams, you can... You can do whatever you want. 
<laughs> well, within within reason, <laughs> within budgetary constraints, <laughs> as long as it only involves wearing leather and having really tall hair, you can do whatever you want. As long as we only need the stunt double gymnast for five <laughs> yes. minutes on a Tuesday, we but, can give you whatever you want. But by the time they get to that, they present that as this like big empowering moment, and then Freddy just fucking slaughters them. No, <laughs> like they, it I think doesn't the, matter at all. The magician kid is the worst example of that. He's like, he's like, I summoned lightning, and Freddy just walks over and stabs him, and it's like, well, you can't do anything with your lightning here. Yeah, bitch. it's it's like it's it's almost like in uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, where the guy's trying to f- box him, and then finally Jason just swings once and knocks his head five hundred feet into the <laughs> harbor. You know, it's it's like it's a cool visual and it's a cool idea, but I think yeah, I think it's more, it it's more fun. It's more of a fun concept than I think it is in execution. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I like practical effects and I like practical movies. I think this is a case where the 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 content kind of needs modern effects to it to be super effective, yeah. I think. Like, because it's like the... You know, one of the most impressive things of the movie was the practical effects because every scene where, like, something gets destroyed, I'm always like, man, they must have had to nail that on the oh, first yeah. take because, like, there's yeah. just, like, or, like, you know, a thing falls over and it's like, that must have taken them 45 minutes to light all the candles that was on that desk because it just fell over. And right. then hopefully yeah. they got it on the shot. And I, I think that, like, the the practical effects are kind of limiting in how scary it can be just because this is supposed to be a dream world where things are supposed to be a little bit more surreal would be my understanding of, of what they're doing. Yeah. And and so the practical stuff just kind of doesn't, you know, it's like the, it's not a bad effect, but the, the, the early one is where she like Kruger is behind her. I think it's fairly effectively set up. He's like coming, he's chasing after Kristen. Is that the character, the main characters? Yes. Name? Yes. The Arquette character, um, and uh, she's carrying the little girl. Yes, Kristen. and she's stuck. She's stuck in the mud, and she can't run through the mud. Yeah, and I think it's a. Fa- it's like it's a, a super effective idea. I just feel that the practical effect makes it seem a little bit like silly or something yeah, in some yeah. ways. And so, I, I would. That's why I'm always so disappointed that the remake of this wasn't super well received because it seems like something that would benefit from that. Even though I love the practical effects, I just think that they they do kind of come across as like a uh, they just they seem stagey in a way that goes like, well, it's clearly not a dream, you know. Like I know that yeah. you know that going in, but it's uh, you'd expect a dream world to be a little bit more insane than they're able to do with practical effects. Yeah, I, it really stood out to me in the scene where uh, Kristen gets eaten by the giant snake, Freddy. Yes. Where Freddy. when she walks into that room, I was like, this is, ve- this is very bri- brightly lit. She looks yes. like she's on a set. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In, in a way that I don't think the first one ever really feels that way because they're going for the mood and they're going for the creepiness. And this one, it's really to show off the, the special effects, which is, which is fine. I think, yep. um, I think, yeah, I think that the puppet one is probably the best because, First of all, it's, it's disgusting. Yes, disgusting. And it's yeah. like the idea of... Painful. Yeah. It feels painful. Yeah, the yeah. idea of someone pulling your veins out of your arm and then it's like you can just imagine how painful yes. that would be. Yeah. But the uh, the other one that I thought was really great, I really liked the first one with Kristen where uh, his hand comes out of the... The blades come out of the sink. 
Yes. And she, yeah. it ends up, yeah. she cuts her wrist. I thought that one was really effective. That one's good. That's, that a, one is, that's the second, that's the one that's the second most scary to me. Yeah, it, it falls back a little bit, not falls back because it's early in this, but it, it, it's the, the series always has to do the scare that's like, you're not sure you're in the dream world or not, like, yeah. you, or they'll trick you into thinking that you're in, you're awake, but you're actually still in the dream world. I like they that one. They do that one. like I, five times in this movie. Yeah, they, they, they realize that because it's, it's a lot of you would think it's be much more common to just your dream is just like when you fall asleep you wake up in bed and you get out of bed and you're just like well it's the morning now and then you're like oh actually i'm dreaming still it's just uh, whatever whenever whatever happens when i shut my eyes is what happens in the dream world i think I, they I, uh oh sorry god no it's just like the that one's effective i think that the the puppet one is the most effective they they kind of move down from there. Like eventually, I think that the kid just being held over the pits of hell is kind of a stupid one. Like that's just <laughs> that's just you've run out of complete. You have no idea what you want to do with this character, um, and that's the kid who can't speak, right? Yeah. Yes. So that's yeah. that's that's his thing. But you know the, I think the drug one is a good example of the failure of the characterization because I feel like that one should be much more tragic and twisted than it is right and you know she's she's sort of set up as a drug addict and it's like the the wardens or whatever you want to call the the people or the orderlies or whatever in the hospital kind of play up on that fact um but when it gets down to it it's just he stabs her with his knife hands which have turned into syringes in the arms and that kills her and it's not a i I guess to go back to it like my the, the kruger thing I would find Kruger much more effective if he was more of a manipulator yeah. than he is. Yeah. And because I feel like they're setting that up with the child stuff, which is that like you know, like there's no there, I don't you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's no dreams where he like lures them in their dream with, you know, candy or anything or says like step in to this he does that more if i remember i think he does that more in the first one where it's not does he do that in the first he's one? not doing like you know pulling a van up in front of and but he's being a he's being a bit more um, seductive to them yeah or he's he's leaving breadcrumbs that entice you to to follow him instead of just jumping i mean he does plenty of jumping out at you but like in the first one there's the scene where nancy falls asleep in class and then she goes out into the hallway and sees her dead friend in a body right. bag and that, which then gets like d- dragged down the hallway and then she follows that and ends up in the boiler room. So there's a bit more of, yeah. of a, of a, of that sort of dreamlike, uh, in, in enticing nature to, to, to the set pieces in the first one, as opposed to this one. Yeah. I, I think that's important to him. Yeah. I, th- I think he has to be that way because it just makes it that much more scary. And, and like, and, <clears throat> and I think it's a it's a mistake to not like I understand it's I think we talked about this first one, but they they can't go so far that they make like the child horrificness of this so explicit. Right. But at the same time, that's the thing that makes him the most terrifying character yeah. to me. And if they don't go into it, it's tough. Well, the thing is, I think what they end up doing with the C series that they start with this one is it's not really a horror movie anymore. It's a roller coaster. Because the, yeah, f- the yeah. first one is is explicitly meant to be scary, but by the time they get to this one, it's just kind of a thrill ride because all the all of the kills are really big. 
um, and really loud and explosive. And from here on, he just kind of turns into Bugs Bunny to a certain extent. Yeah, you yeah, know, he, he does. Yeah, like to almost to the point where he turns to the camera and is like, "Ain't I a stinker?" He doesn't get quite there, but he gets pretty close. I, it, it's actually making me somewhat appreciate the modern Saw movies because I, I think that the Saw movies are kind of doing what I would expect Nightmare to be more built around. Yeah, and, and it's obviously it's like an evolution of like what you're going to get away with and what you can do and things like that. But I. The the set because the the saw movies are kind of like this one in that they're built around those like puzzles the puzzle murder traps mm-hmm. and so they're interesting to watch and they're interesting to to kind of see like how are someone going to get out of this or what do you sort of do from uh, and that one also if I'm remembering I haven't seen saw but saw also the puzzles are built around the personal failings of the person who's trapped in them I right? think so something like that yeah. So it's like the drug addict is surrounded by syringes and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel that Jigsaw in those movies does what Freddy should probably be doing here. I think that for the roller coaster ride, if you're going for a roller coaster ride, I think that the the movie's just not really exciting enough to be a great roller coaster ride. Yeah. That, that's that's my criticism of of that anyway. How do you feel about the new setting? Because the, the the first one, it's just a kid in a house, and the second one, they just kind of try to go back to the house, and it doesn't really work. This one, they set it in a uh, mental institute, which Wes Craven said was there's basically the thing that was kind of all the rage in the '80s, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. send us your troubled kid, and we'll fix them. And you were basically sure. sending them to to psychiatric jail. Yeah. yeah. Um, how how do you feel about the the setting? I thought it was. I prefer the house. Yeah. I think there's something more spooky about the the place that you can the place that you're supposed to find comfort not being comforting to you is more terrifying than this place is scary and it's scary in your dreams and it's scary in regular reality too because it's right. like a prison for you. Yeah. Yeah, I I like it if as an escalation um or not an escalation but it's kind of like if if you don't want to do the house thing again cuz the thing that makes the first one work so well is not only is it a place where you usually find comfort, but it's the whole angle with the parents where the parents yep. aren't really listening to the kids, paying attention to them. And so to move the kids into a hospital where now it's doctors who aren't paying attention, yeah. I, I like that aspect because that's pretty – that can be very scary. Yeah, I I liked I, – I, I wish that the – like the the doctors are kind of in this the whole psych thing in general is kind of another example of where I think that it doesn't particularly work in terms of being scary because I I feel like the in my idealized version of what the the concept is doing I should feel more terrified in this setting during the non dream sequences than I do mm. I, I find what I find funny about these movies is that um. The characters know what's going to happen to them when they fall asleep, right? For the so, most part, yeah, that's, they're trying not to dream and not to sleep and stuff, yeah. So what they do is like, ah, oh, I can't fall asleep. I'm I'm just going to get into bed with a book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, and it's like, why don't you guys go out and do some exercise or something? Yeah, like I, I feel like a lot of the terror of this should be the exhaustion that they're all feeling that they can't fall asleep yeah. and like the wearing on them and stuff like that. But the kids are all pretty, pretty per- perky. And when it's time for the orderlies to come and put them to bed, they're just like, 
hey man, if if you hear me whimpering, can you do you mind waking me up so I don't get killed by Freddy Krueger? And I I feel that there's like the setup is just so dripping with like this dread of what's going to happen to you because that feeling of I can't fall asleep is a pretty it's such a like a an enticing feeling when you're yeah. so tired and you're like I just want to go to bed. Yeah. I wish that the movie played up on that a little bit more and wasn't so like um, lackadaisical about it. Yeah, they only get into it a couple spots where uh, um, the the kid uh, Joey and uh, what the hell is the crippled kid's name? Will is it Will? Will, yes. I'm so Will. bad with names. I don't know why they just. Don't I'm surprised. I, I'm, I'm surprised I remember them actually. Yeah, it's Will. I think. Um, yeah, when Joey and Will go to bed and they they take turns, one of them yep. keeps watch, and I, I makes think sense. Yeah, and I think the most effective one is probably. Uh, it's, oh, I thought I was going to be able to do it on the fly because I have the thing up. What the hell's her name? Jennifer, when Jen, she's watching yeah. TV and she starts burning herself with a cigarette. Yeah, like that's pretty intense. Yep. But they don't. Yeah, they don't lean into it quite as much as they could. Yeah, it's just the. You know, because there's no there's no question of them being crazy. You think you think they would just work together a little bit more than they do because they they know the kids know that they can't fall asleep because if they do, bad things are going to happen to them. That's why yeah. I like the sort of looking out for them scene. It's it's the, I I think I, I, I think what I really want is like I want the building desperation between them, and I, sure. I don't feel that that ever really comes across because I, in my ideal version of the Kruger thing you can't fall asleep. It's just like you're, you're dead if you fall asleep. And so the fight against that is the, the whole point. Really. Yeah. 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 It's, um, as they do more of these, this one, uh, it, it kind of shows why, um, Friday the 13th ends up being more consistent for the most part than mm-hmm. this series, because, Freddie is so tightly linked to the Elm Street concept that every time that they do an, another one, they have to come up with some excuse or some backstory or some lore to explain what's going on. Whereas right. in Friday the 13th, it's like, no, people show up where Jason doesn't want them to be, so he kills them all. Right, and, yeah. it, it and he can move to, around. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Just, he's mobile. <laughs> yeah, but having... having it, it feels like they're 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 just tacking so much on when you get into like the, the stuff with his backstory. Uh, let's talk about the backstory. He's the, we find out that he's the, the, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs as told yeah. to uh, Craig Wasson through his mother's ghost, I guess. Yes. Yeah. His mother's ghost who's still serving as a nun in the afterlife. Yeah. Fortunately for her. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, it's, it's a great line, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, but I don't know. I, that was that was ten thousand maniacs original uh, band name. <laughs> they were actually called they were actually called the child killers first. <laughs> Did you? I mean, do you? You could tie it into the the Kruger backstory thing. Like, where do you stand on Freddy here? Like, is Freddy overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated as a cinematic character? I really like Fre- Freddy. He's always been my favorite of the 80s slasher characters. I think because yep. just because he has the most personality. Sure. Yeah, um, he's not just a man in a mask walking around. Yeah, but I I don't really know if the stuff that they add on really matches the personality he has. You know, because he's kind of yes. a, like I said, he's kind of turning into Bugs Bunny a little bit. 
And like, they don't even really try to make him scary in this movie. He's just, even from the first scene, um, they do one kind of Freddy in shadow shot very early on. And then after that, he's just like full face in the camera and like lit pretty well. And so it's, it's a weird adjustment for him as a character because yeah, he, he ends up becoming, I don't really, it's, I don't really know how to describe what he turns into, but he, he just turns into a cartoon character. Yeah, he is for the most part. I think it's a, I think his personality is lacking just because it's to me, it sort of ties. It just ties in again to the kid thing. I just don't see him. I, I find him too uh, sort of constantly cruel in a way that it makes me difficult to understand how he accomplished what he accomplished when he was alive. If that makes sense. Like I, I I just, I, I need a little bit more of like, charm from him or mm-hmm. something like that like he he's he's just so he's just so angry <laughs> all the time <laughs> and I, I i would think that being this sort of dream master that he is right like he's like this he controls this dream world where he that's, can do whatever it is that's the name of the fourth one you just reminded me it's the dream, dream master the dream master yes okay well <laughs> here we here he is I'll, I'll get the story credit um i just think that he he should have a little bit more confidence and it shouldn't just be him running around after people <laughs> like i, I feel yeah. like that's a it's a big problem is that like he can bend this universe to his will and he still just chases people around and falls down yes. when they hit him with a broom and things like that it's that is silly that is the thing that's so strange like the the when the um when uh jeez oh, taryn the the punk girl yeah the punk when she has her standoff in the alleyway she like stabs him with a short knife and he's like, bro, <laughs> you know? And then like, and then after that, he kind of remembers he's a dream demon and he's like, oh, yes. right. I can turn my fingers into drugs. <laughs> I, can, I can inject her with poison. Of course I can. Which is, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good example of where I think the tone is weird because like all of the dreams, dream warrior stuff is presented as like empowering and you know this is the thing that's going to help us beat freddy and then when you stand off with him he's like you're a fucking drug addict aren't you you dumb you, you gross yeah. drug addict and you want some drugs in your arms and she's like yeah i do and then he just overdoses her with drugs <laughs> that's her end that's her arc no that's the you would imagine in a well-constructed plot that the characters would over, like some of them have to die. Obviously it's a slasher, but like there, there needs to be a sense of even for the main character. I'm not sure what she's overcoming here. It's like a personal failing of hers that Freddie can't take advantage of. It just seems that she survived the longest and therefore she wins. But yeah, I, I think there's a whole range of more twisted Freddie. Freddie should basically in this movie be the bad psychiatrists he's like the twisted version of the doctor sure in the real yeah, world you know yeah, yeah i i think that that brings up a, another thing that i wanted to talk about which is i feel like this movie is um i i feel like overall it like works it, it just it just works pretty well for me yep. but when you kind of like really parse it out like there's like five different protagonists in this movie who all don't really have a thing they're after like uh Kristen, is presented as this as the protagonist, but she's really only there to facilitate 
getting into the dreams. Yeah, she she has the dream power that yeah. can pull people into dreams. Which is a whole another kettle of fish we can get into is yep. why she, why she has these powers. <laughs> but you know, you've got Nancy who comes back, and I'm always happy to see Nancy. I thought I, I I think it's great they brought her back, but like she's not really the the lead or propelling any of the action. Sometimes she is, sometimes she isn't. And well, she's set up as the older mentor character right. who comes back. Yeah. And I, I just decided it's Langenkamp, right? Yes. Just th- what really stuck out to me the most is that her acting in the first one didn't seem as bad because I think that the cast around her was not as strong. Here, they, they're dealing with a lot of young actors who would go on to do things, and her acting just sticks out really awfully, unfortunately, <laughs> for her. But it's just like, it's one of those weird acting performances. It's like, have you never said the phrase it looks sunny out today or something like it just the words come out so jumbled and and not uh like with the cadence that you'd expect but it was distracting just when because you know you've got um Lawrence Fishburne and the uh, Patricia Arquette and stuff there's like there's actors in this cast at this point I think it stuck out unfortunately I actually I don't think Patricia Arquette's particularly very good in this I feel like all she does is just scream but because she She does she doesn't really have a character she's just kind of there to 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 scream and pull people in and out of dreams like there's no Agreed. like Nan- nancy is the one who has the, the the actual like connection to the story you know yep. and and yep. which is why it always her death always feels really weird to me because i feel like it, it first of all talk about being enticing it's the one time he's enticing he pulls yes. a uh uh dark helmet from Spaceballs on her impersonates her father <laughs> stabs her and goes fooled you gotcha um but like i i always thought that was a really cheap death for her because it, it she's not like she doesn't go out in a blaze of glory or anything and i don't know what, what you, how do you feel about her death yes yeah, she's um it does just feel like we have to kill this character so she can't come back right <laughs> anymore and it's it's a little it's a it's it's just a little it's a little hokey just because it's like and it's in front of everybody too like the other characters are just yeah. there kind of watching this yeah. happen and then it happens and, and she dies uh, at the very end it i i think it's the same as it suffers from the rest of the characters and her her arc is not particularly clear to me yeah. as to what she's supposed to be doing so when she dies it doesn't feel like she really accomplished anything outside of you know the fact that they're going to kill freddie here or right. you know quote yeah. unquote kill freddy so it's it's you know i was reading ebert's review and ebert's review was just like his problem with it was just you have to like these characters so he's one of these he has the opinion that like in these slasher movies you have to like the characters who right. are going to be yeah. dying to make it effective and he didn't like any of them and i i kind of understand that and i sympathize with that because i think that they none of them have sympathetic arcs that would make you feel bad for them like you don't even i don't even really get any pathos of them all being in the uh the asylum or whatever you want to call it like i don't feel bad for them being in there it doesn't seem like a bad time you know it's comparatively to the way that they usually present these things no it doesn't seem that bad and most of them seem like they probably need it to some extent right yeah normally it's done through the orderlies torture the kids yeah right like that that's the way i don't know if i would want them to do that though only because i think the the scariness of the doctors not 
paying attention to them is more effective if the if they are being dismissive but well-meaning. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I, I bring it up only as the... Normally in these stories, you, you have the pathos for the kids because they're being right, so mistreated right, okay. in there. Yeah. And if they're not going to do that, then you really have to rely on, like, these kids have to have, like, really clear stories about what their struggle is that they're going to overcome by the end of it. And I don't think any, I don't think there's a single one that does that effectively, which makes it feel like the whole cast is kind of lackluster or the characters are lackluster. Yeah. Amanda more or less agrees. She says the kids are so thinly drawn that it's hard to care if and when they get hurt or die. Their powers in the dream world are supposed to reflect something about their personalities or experiences, but instead seem like an attempt to give each of them a character without having to do any work to actually establish it. Yeah. Points for including a diverse group, minus points for not including a cool wheelchair death. <laughs> that we- I feel you could have dodged that wheelchair on that hallway all night. I don't think that that thing is I, all that dangerous. Some of these, some of these I, I, I always wish, like, you know, clearly their budget is what it is, and they have to save the money and put their calories towards, like, the bigger set pieces. Yep. But every now and then, when when they do one that's really kind of stupid, I wish I wish they would cut over to Freddy and have him go, I don't know. I got I got nothing. <laughs> you in a wheelchair? What about a spiky wheelchair? <laughs> They're not all going to be zingers. Yeah. This is, I've been up all night. I've killed a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I I I think that the the cast is probably. I would agree with Amanda. I, I think it's just the cast is the like. If you're not going to do the crazy kills. The cast not being particularly likable or empathetic is just kind of undercuts what you f- are supposed to feel for when Freddy comes around for them. Um, yeah. And you'd think it'd be teed up. You'd think it'd be a fairly effective thing to do. But even in the first one, I remember not feeling particularly sympathetic. I, f- I think I felt more than I do for this one. But it was still kind of a failure of the, the franchise to recognize what's like actually terrifying about this setup. Yeah, they should have brought... Larry Fishburne into their dreams with them. He would have shown off what for. <laughs> we need to edit back in just like whether these kids take the red pill or the, the blue pill. And <laughs> see where they end up in life. Um, I like the return of Nancy's dad. I think having him be a washed up security guard instead of the chief of police or whatever is a nice touch. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. I, I, he's He has the... And going back to to Fishburne, I I think the movie's actually overstuffed with characters. Really, yes. like yeah. Lawrence Fishburne doesn't need to be in this movie. He doesn't do. He doesn't. He literally doesn't do anything. I don't think he's just right? the sympathetic orderly. That's all. Yeah, and that's not necessary. He doesn't go into the dream with him or anything. I I like the dad. I feel that the male psychiatrist is a fairly useless character. Oh yeah, too. big time. Yeah, he's not really necessary. I don't know what his name is, but uh, the guy his from DS Nine is dr neil gordon neil gordon yeah i think it's tough because like in order so if you take him out i think that makes sense if like the whole thing is nancy is the is the doctor or whatever yes yeah um but then to facilitate the ending as it stands you need to get someone to go get the bones yeah (laughs) while nancy is going into the dream I think the dad could do that alone and get killed there by the bones. I think that's yeah, effective. he could. But I do, I do like that he's never entirely on board. You know, like yeah, once, sure. once they get to the the car wrecking place, and Craig <laughs> Wasson starts like digging through things, he he makes his way over to the car, 
to to find out that the keys are there so he can't just drive away. Yep. Yeah. Like that stuff is pretty good. But yeah, I think you could probably because that's what kind of what I was talking about. It's like there's so many just like scattershot plot threads. And we didn't even talk about Hypnosil, which is kind of a big thing to drop. That there's when he's this, looking at the computer. <laughs> yeah, there's this psych psychotropic or whatever you want to call it drug that stops you from dreaming. Did they take that? What is the point of that story thread? Yeah, it's just Nancy takes, take it. It? Nancy Nancy takes, Nancy it, takes it. Nancy takes it. And then she recommends that they take it. And so he puts them on it. And then... Uh, oh, after, sorry. Is that So she's been taking it her whole career as a grad student. Is that the understanding? I think that, so, yeah. Okay, gotcha. And uh, after the head nurse finds out about it, she fires the guy. And Nancy. Yes, right. But yeah, that's, okay. I, I, I'm... I'm I'm kind of happy they don't try to run that down any further because, like, as, as soon as I saw that and I saw saw him pull that up on his computer and I was like, man, I can just hear a thousand screenwriters going, ooh, what if we do a movie that's just about where Hypnosil comes from? And what if Freddie yes, gets into yeah. the into the, uh, the the testing dream lab? It's like, yeah, great, awesome, sure. Yeah, Freddie would be the head scientist at Hypnosil.org uh, or whatever <laughs> comes up with this, this, this material and he falls into it like the Joker. Um, what's the other thing I want to talk about at the end? Oh, uh, Amanda brought up a good point. Oh, good. Yeah, sure. What do you want? No, just the um, I really like the I like the production of the car junkyard scene. Yes, that's a it, cool set. Yeah, it's very hard to not just think that he's fighting Bone Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny how when Freddy's down to a skeleton, I guess he loses all personality as to what he's supposed to be. Well, that's one of those things too, where it's like. What are the rules of this universe? Freddy can just inhabit his own bones? Right. Like, nobody's asleep in that scenario. Did he willingly go back into the dream world when the bones collapse, or was he pulled back at that I point? think he willingly goes back. He just kind of, like, zips out for a second. Okay. He feels people molesting his bones. Oh, that's... <laughs> and so he just leaves the dream world to possess the bone. I was trying to think... I was thinking about that, and I was like, this feels... I mean, it's it, it's kind of breaking the rules. I think it's just fun. It's just a fun gag. Like that. Yeah, that's one of just, those things yeah, where sure. it's like it doesn't need to make sense. It's just a fun fun bit. Just just, I would agree. Just in the so in the story, he's stopping them from taking his bones. It's just, the the logic problem just becomes why would he go back into the dream world? Oh, maybe at that he point. does get pulled back. Yeah, I honestly can't remember. I don't but, remember. I don't know how they would pull. Does. The dream girl, maybe the dream girl pulls him back in or something. I, I, it's it's irrelevant because it's just giving them a chance to bump back. He, it gives them a chance to kill the dad, and then he goes back to kill Camp. Yeah. Um, if I had to guess, cycle. I could be wrong because I can't remember exactly what the chain of events, but I think he kills the dad, and then maybe he like hits Neil Neil Gordon with a with a shovel or something. Yeah, he hits him with a shovel. Yep. Yeah, and so he just assumes he's down for the count, oh, gotcha. so he can go back and deal with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Never count quick Craig Wasson out. No. Dr. Neil Gordon always perseveres. <laughs> he's he's they they just felt like um fairly flimsy. The 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 Dr. Gorman or Gordon or whatever just feels like a fairly flimsy character that's it's there to it's like a character that offers like, sort of like moral support and someone for the main character to talk to while the main character makes their decision about what they want to do. Right, yeah. And the like the relationship that they kind of are hinting at with him and Nancy is kind of weird. Yeah. Cuz it's not quite romantic, but it feels like it's romantic. Yep. 
I don't remember that. It, that feels like they originally, I think originally they were supposed to be a more explicitly romantic, uh, relationship, but for what, for whatever reason, they cut it back to this sort of like dating with blue balls kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, It's it's a very, it's, it's complicated. It's a complicated situation. There's absolutely no reason for those two to be in a relationship. Just, uh, there's no reason for the character to really exist in the way that he does. It's just that they're, is a man and a woman on screen together. So they must, yeah, they have to, want they to must be kiss each other. Yeah. I guess just, I just had a few, or just, we didn't talk about the, um, Freddie's backstory. Yeah. Um, it is, you are getting into the dangerous realm of just like, didn't need to know this when you do so many sequels. I didn't, I didn't need to know. I didn't need to know that, um, Freddy Krueger's mother is basically like a cat who can have different, you know, <laughs> different genetic material can just combine <laughs> into one. Did you know that the cats are like one of the few species that the kittens of a litter can have different fathers? Really? From them? Yeah. So I did kind not of know like, that. They're kind of unique that way. But that's what the, the what is she just got, she like got the door locked on her or something? Yeah, I guess she, she just walked in out. and the door closed behind her, I guess. Well, I mean, she obviously has a bad time. But it's it's one of those things of just. Um, I think, I think it's, I think it's less <clears throat> that it's it's uh, literally different genetic material, and more that it's it's a way to sum up the fact that she was just raped so many times that it just created the seed of evil inside evil. of her. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> uh, once they get to the, the seventh pre- uh, sequel, we can start understanding what the genetic components of this was. But that's a... Th- that character, the mother character, just screams to me of... You kind of... Ha- like It's a pretty short movie. It's only an hour and a half. Yeah. But, but yeah. She, her her scenes take up a good chunk they do. of yeah. 10 minutes. It, it's a lot of the movie and it just ultimately doesn't add anything. It's not that I like the reason to include this, right? Is if you're trying to make Kruger sympathetic in some way. And why do you need to do that for this character? There's no reason to be sympathetic to Freddie. There's no reason to be like, well, he had a, he had a traumatic birth and childhood and therefore that it's understandable that he's pure evil at this point, but it's, it just feels like a waste of time. Yeah, I know. What if the bastard son of a hundred maniacs had a really nurturing home life? Right. That's, it would prove forever nothing, nature versus nurture. Yeah, nothing to say that he would necessarily turn out to be a horrible child killer. <laughs> that's, that's right. You can't yeah. be prejudicial towards this kind of person. Um, it's a real, uh, like all of the space taken up by that stuff could have gone to the other characters. And yeah, and it goes to the doctor character of all the characters. Like yeah, the, I know. The, the male right? doctor is the I know, one it's who not even Nancy. It's not even right. Nancy who finds that shit out. It's this guy yeah. who doesn't know what's going on at all. <laughs> he's, he's like, who is Freddy Krueger? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really fascinating is that uh, every time I've heard people talk about sequels for these movies, it's like the first thing everybody pitches is, well, we want to get into Freddy's backstory. Right. It's like, why? What do you yeah. What do you need to know about where Freddy came from that is going to in any way make him more scary or a better cat? I mean, it's always Robert Englund because, of course, that means he gets more screen time the more yep. old Freddy stuff they do. But, uh, um, like, um, he had a pitch for this movie that they didn't use, 
And uh, John Saxon, of all people, also had a pitch for this movie that okay. apparently connected um, all of the murders on uh, Elm Street to the Manson family. Sure. Yeah, so apparently the Manson family did all the killing and blamed it on Freddy Krueger, <laughs> who was then killed after being wrongfully accused. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's kind of... I I feel like the franchise just kind of um, lashes out for anything to grab onto. Like a, a good example, of, like I I actually think that could potentially be interesting if Freddy Krueger was not the guy. Like, cause it's it's a weird. The backstory itself is kind of strange to me in that the parents don't do anything, in my opinion, that deserves their torture. Like, they didn't kill the wrong guy, right? you know? Yeah. Like, kill, killing the wrong guy would kind of give Freddy Krueger a reason for wanting revenge in this way. And what's kind of pathetic about it is that they took a child killer and they, like, superpowered him right. through this process. Yeah. And I don't think that, like, the <laughs> the ethics is something that the, sh- the movie's not really interested in talking about. But to me, it goes hand in hand with what did you think in this movie about I don't remember this in the first movie, but the overt religious references. That was the last thing I, I was going to bring up is uh, it's really strange. So <clears throat> one of the things Amanda brought up um, is that uh, apparently Nancy completely forgot how she beat him in the first movie, which uh, oh, I did, uh, too. Yeah, yeah. Pray tell. Uh, it's yeah. it's like they she says it's like they erased the entire lesson she learned in the first movie that Freddie's power is your fear. And that to beat him, you can essentially just roast him Comedy Central style and peace out. No, that's out. right. Yeah. And so, like, no one in the movie asks her, well, what did you do when you dealt with him the first time? <laughs> She's just like, yes, pretend you have electric beams shooting out of your hands. This will do it. And yeah. so then yeah. the first movie has this sort of, um, it's a very, uh, there's no religion in the first movie. There's really no religion in Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, the first movie at all right where it's it's a it's a pr- pretty secular idea of this of this monster that lives in your subconscious he certainly doesn't have a weakness to holy water like he's no. a castlevania character no yeah. he does not and so you have you have nancy beating him in the first one by overcoming her own fear it's like it's a very sort of like uh therapeutic kind of ending yeah yeah which I think is probably a little bit harder to grasp onto than this, which is like, what if he was just a vampire, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's really strange that they bring in this Catholic element that uh, he's literally beaten by the power of Christ at the end of this movie. (laughs) I mean, this, this brings up the, the constant religious predicament of what is God doing this whole time? Right. Yes. He's he's allowing Freddy Krueger to do this to these children. He could just spit on him and cause him to to burst into flames or something. Strange. It's hey, weird, it's sorry, weird... guys. I mi- even I miss one from time oh, to time. Oh shit! It's 1987. Oh god, I gotta get down there. Just uh, I, I thought Pete, it was Saint Peter, could you bring me the Krueger file? <laughs> I, uh, sir, I don't know what happened to it. Burnt up, sir. I I thought it was for. You know, the the first movie, now that you're reminding me, makes total thematic sense there, which is that, you know, it's it's kind of like a growing up metaphor and that like con- confronting your fears about yeah. everything mm-hmm. is like kind of becoming the adult that can't get hurt by Kruger anymore. Uh, here, it makes 
it makes zero sense that the guy gets hit in the shovel and then is like, "We're going to spritz you with some holy water well, out of this test tube." Not only that, as as far as the mechanic not making a lot of sense, you've got a, a movie that starts from Kristen's point of view and sets her up as this lead character, which then kind of backseats her to Nancy, who then at the end of the movie gets killed, and the hero of the movie is fucking Neil Gordon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like Kristen doesn't even do anything. Like yeah. I guess yeah. she kind of like Joey screams and stuff. Joey screaming is fun. Oh yeah, yeah. But like the ultimate hero of the movie is Craig Wasson. Yeah, that's true. He he pulled the trigger at the end. He he accomplished the the deed. I don't even th- like he's the one who gets the post kill like wrap up scene too, where he yep, yep. he uh, the mother sees the mother walking yeah the mother and, yeah. and gets the the house. Next day, apparently, that final scene where um, he's sleeping and he has uh, her Malaysian Nancy's Malaysian dream doll and the <laughs> paper paper mache house and the light goes on. Yeah. Apparently, the original idea was that Nancy dies, and Kristen says that Nancy is now basically like a dream warrior in the afterlife, protecting okay. her, pr- protecting people from evil in the afterlife right and the idea of the light going on was supposed to be oh nancy's still in there she's but, home yeah, yeah but the way that they play it with the the, the music sting it obviously reads as though freddie is still ex- still exists yeah so uh, sorry so are you saying that the intent of the scene was always the other way and it's misunderstood or is no no just... it, the the original intent was the nancy thing but the way yep. that they decided to put it together the was intense. just to keep Kruger around, basically, yeah. yes. Yeah. But yeah, it's the the influx of the of the of the religious religious stuff is really strange for this series. Makes no sense. Yeah, no and, sense. It, and it never, I mean, never really comes back. Oh, doesn't it? It's just, no, it doesn't become a uh, a building weakness. I mean, yeah, just the the final the final scene to me is, um, there's a. There's a certain point where the character isn't really dead, goes from like a cute thing to like a, uh, okay, like it's fine. Like it, it's a, I find it a little bit, um, it's almost depressing or something. Like I know that they want to do it because they want to, they want the franchise to keep going, but it, it does become a little bit of like when you're just waiting for that thing to happen at the end and then yeah. it happens and it's just like, well, on to the next thing. I guess all of this was for nothing and we, we learned nothing, but if it's a roller coaster ride, I guess you just get back on the ride. So. Yeah. Yeah. The final, the final sting, it, it, it turns into like the encore, right? You know, yeah. encore yeah. used to not be something that happened all the time. And now it's just something that has to happen. Yeah. You just have to wait. Yeah. When I saw weird Al a couple of years ago, he had the best um, encore break I've ever seen. Because he finished his set, and then the he and the band just hung out on stage, doing <laughs> nothing. Water. Yeah, <laughs> yes, literally, like sitting around, checking their phone, drinking water while the whole place was clapping, waiting for the encore. And yeah. then, like at a certain point, he checks his watch and like does the roundup signal, and they come back and all pick up their instruments again. And they're like, "Yeah, hey, thank you, thank you," you know. <laughs> that makes sense. You yeah. got you got you got to break uh, with tradition every once in a while. Uh, the only last couple things to mention is the music was done by Angelo Badalamenti, who is probably most well-known as working for David Lynch. He did the music for Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, I don't like the music in this movie. It's it's There's a certain kind of synthesizer score yeah. that just sounds very fake to me. 
Oh, interesting. And this is one of those where like I can I can I can hear the synthetic strings and the synthetic horns and they're not used in like an interesting way. They just sound like fake music. Yeah. And I really don't like that sound. Yeah, I can't I can't comment too much. I just it felt to me like it blended in in a way that I was expecting. Um yeah. I didn't find it memorable at all. Yeah. The other notable music of course is uh Dokken makes an appearance a couple times. They have a couple mm-hmm. songs in there and they over the end credits they do the song Dream Warriors, which yes, is a pretty pretty rocking song. I thought maybe this might have been ground zero for the crossover between heavy metal and horror movies, but mm-hmm. I was I was way off because I forgot again that this was 1987 and they had been yeah. doing that stuff since like the late 70s. <clears throat> um, but yeah, uh, what's your? Do you have any final thoughts? This is not on the list. Would you put it on the list? No, it's not. It's not a 200. Uh, I'm glad it fell off the list. Yeah. I think. Um, I, for someone who doesn't really enjoy the franchise, I can kind of, I can respect how high the original one is on the list. I wouldn't put it up there, but I can sort of understand why it's there. Yeah. Um, I found this one to be, I found this to be fine. It, I didn't hate it. It just felt like it was another example of just kind of the wasted potential of the franchise. I think that it could like it could really go somewhere, and it just ends up not going anywhere. I would knock it off the list. Um, I'd be fine with that. I think that it's just one of those things of because I'm not deep in this like you and Amanda with the uh, the other recurring franchises mm-hmm. of like the Halloweens and the Friday the Thirteenth and stuff like that. But I just don't. I don't feel that this franchise ever makes me go like, oh, I, I bet they could do even the, the things they could do in the sequel after this. That's what I bet. Sure. That's when things are yeah. going to land for me. And I'm, I'll just gonna keep watching it. And it, it never feels like it's going to get there, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, the sequels just become like more over the top set pieces and more insane lore around Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Listen, I, I honestly I was disappointed about the hearing aid thing because I remember that viscerally. For some oh reason. yeah, that's that, a good one. Kid, that's a good kill. Yeah, yeah. The, like the kid's mother made him go deaf because she used to like torture him with Q-tips and stuff like that. Yeah, I I think you might enjoy the next one more because mm-hmm. the next one is more. Um, he's preying on people's fear specifically, whereas in this one it's just sort of like their one recognizable trait is the way he kills them. Yeah. Yep. In the next one, it's the same thing, but like their recognizable traits are are more deep seated, like insecurities and fears, like uh, yes, the hearing yeah. aid kid, or I think four is the one where it's got this one of the the characters of this girl who's uh, who's really into bodybuilding. Okay, um, and so when Freddie gets her, uh, he he basically like Monty Python's her, mm-hmm. where he just like feeds her until she explodes. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's one girl who's like afraid of bugs and he turns into her into a giant cockroach. And then yeah. it's so it's like a lot more creative and like mind fucky than this one is. Yeah, I guess that's how you, you know, because now that I'm thinking about it, the the closest there's kind of an analog to Willy Wonka with Freddy Krueger in sure. a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, they both and have I, hats. They both they both have. um very complicated structures that, yes. that, that, they, that they build around them. But like, cause the, 
because the Wonka thing is about the punishment of the bad kids, right? Right. To get the thing. And this is the other way. But I, I feel you could invert it in some way where Freddy Krueger is like doing, you know, we, we were complaining about you either have to, you have to like the kids or something like that. But there is a way, I think, where you could have a bunch of unlikable Willy Wonka-esque kids and Freddy Krueger is the, the salve that uh, releases all the tension. But I don't know how, yeah. how over well that would go. I feel it's really weird. I mean, this is kind of why... Uh, Wes Craven made New Nightmare to an extent, but it's it's weird when the character you're cheering for is his his most notorious trait is that he was a child murderer. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's impossible to flip. I think uh, comfortably, but yeah, I think if I remember correctly, I do remember we had this conversation when we did the first one, mm-hmm. um, and I after we had after we talked about the first one, I watched the remake, and if I remember correctly. The whole movie brings up the possibility that Kruger wasn't like they killed the wrong guy. Sure. And then at the end, it's like, no, he actually was a pedophile. Yeah, so he's the, yeah because that's how you have to. That's how you have to. And I do give them kudos for upping the ante to pedophile in the remake because that they. I don't yeah. think they make that explicitly here. But no, that's they the, explicitly say child killer. Yeah, just killer. No sex involved. No. Um, yeah, Amanda also would not put it on the list. She says, uh, I can see why people enjoy it, why it has a cult following. It's just not a cult. I will be joining. I I do enjoy this movie, um, yep. but I would agree. I don't think it, it, it I, I would not put it on the list. The first one I would definitely put on the list, but this one, I don't think so. So none of the sequels would be on the list for you then, because this you, you do regard this as like the second best in the franchise at this point? I think so. I think this is probably the second. Like, you know, part two, I do I, I do want to talk about part two with you guys because part two is one of those ones where it's like it's so fucking weird. Yeah. In in when you have 35, 40 years on it to like look back on it. Yeah. It's one of those ones where I think it gets better because it is so um strange. Yeah. But like this is pro as far as what Freddy turns into, this movie is probably like the platonic ideal for the more like set piece type Freddy. Yep. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any of them. It's weird. I, I, I well, I guess it still counts because this is my favorite series and I would only put, well, yeah, I would probably only put one Halloween on here too. So maybe it's not that weird, but yeah, no, I, 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 the, there's so many that have done better. I think that the the franchise ones are probably only going to be the first ones. It would be yeah. rare if they they went past that. Yeah, right. I I feel like they t- they all tend to have a have a a short uptick. So like they do really well the first ones, except yep. for Texas Chainsaw. All those movies are shitty, except for the first one. <laughs> but like Friday the Thirteenth has a bump around like four. And uh, uh, Halloween, the first three are kind of interesting, and a lot of people really like Halloween four. I don't really care for it. Um, this one has an interesting bump around three and four, so they they kind of start off strong, dip a bit, and then come back. Yeah, yeah, but not got to figure out the idea. Height. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, I think that's gonna do it. Uh, the next movie we're gonna be doing is number thirty six, which is Night of the Hunter in which uh, my cousin Dan, who runs the website Shadows of Noir, which is a film noir website and podcast, is going to be joining us for that one. Mm-hmm. So that should be fun. Uh, thank you, Wes, for joining us. I'm sure uh, you're going to be back uh, the episode after Night of the Hunter. We haven't figured out what the movie is yet, but uh, you know we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. I'll, I'll, I'll know by the time I do Night of the Hunter. Sounds good. I'm uh, always happy to be here. Thank you. 
And uh, we will see you next time. What is the other thing? Oh, yeah. If you want to help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file where you can follow along with Amanda and myself as we cover the Halloween series mm-hmm. and uh, all the other good podcast garbage we have over there. Would you say we have like over 200 episodes just on yeah, Patreon? Yeah, over 200 at this point. Yep. So you earn you you get your $5 worth. Yeah. Jeez, uh, you, you sure up. do. Yep. Hope you really like... Uh, trying to think of the most esoteric thing hope you really like the lesser known films of Catherine Bigelow <laughs> I hope you like us talking about the same Star Trek episode we've watched seven times yes we're watching it for <laughs> we're the getting time. pretty close <laughs> all right thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time